I'm Martine Powers. It's Saturday, May 2nd. This is a bonus episode of Post Reports. Um, do you have your starter with you by any chance? I don't. Do you want me to go get it? Yes. Okay. So what is the story that you've been working on? I have been working on this story about the rise of sourdough bread baking during the pandemic. I'm Marina Flores, and I am a producer for Post Reports. I'd almost forgotten to feed my starter. It actually started because our executive producer, Madalika, very recently has started her own sourdough journey. I've baked bread for years, actually, on and off. Never done a sourdough starter. She's had a little bit of trouble with the rise of her loaves, with reviving the starter. And so she and I have just been talking constantly about how to care for the sourdough starter. How much do I discard, though? You discard everything. Basically, I became interested because I couldn't escape this idea. Like, I was talking about it at work on Zoom calls and then also on social media. All of my Twitter timeline, my Instagram (laughs) stories that I was seeing was just people baking bread. Here we are. I've finally taken this bread out of the oven. So this is the part that I don't really understand, because you talk about the sourdough starter, growing it, tending to it, and it sounds like it's an actual living thing. What what exactly is sourdough starter? How How does it work? Yeah. And let me actually start from what makes the process of sourdough sort of different from other yeasted bread. So in any kind of bread, you basically use this commercially available yeast to get your dough to rise, to be fluffy and light when it's coming out of the oven. For your average home baker, you're probably going to use something like active dry yeast from your supermarket. It's the the stuff that comes in, you know, quarter ounce envelope packets or in these sort of squat little jars. And for sourdough, that's a different story. Like the leavening of your bread, the rise of your bread comes from yeast that you're basically cultivating yourself. The yeast is made from the microbes in your flour, your water, the air around you. You're basically combining flour and water into this gooey mixture, your starter, and then you have to feed it over time with more flour and more water. It sounds like a almost like a little biodome of sourdough stuff, bacteria and other like tiny organisms that are this petri dish that you use for baking. That's exactly it, Martine. This kind of starter will basically survive for years and years and years and years and years. Like some, they're called mothers and they spawn a ton of other. <laughs> there, there are starters. mother starters that there like are, yes. have little starter babies. That have little starter babies, yes. And they'll survive for years. Like some of these starters are so special to like families that it'll be passed down from generation to generation. It, it's kind of a slow process too. Natural fermentation is like not something that can really be rushed. The starter itself takes a while to become active and needs a few feedings to get it going. So it's a pretty like slow and fussy process. That is so much work. It's a lot of work. (laughs) 
So you can see why people typically don't do that. They'll fast track this bread baking process with yeast, commercially available yeast. So so in terms of people who are now using this time to focus their attention on trying to figure out how to make sourdough bread, do you think that's just like in your community of of people who are already bakers or, or people who are like big on bread Twitter? Or or do you think that, that this goes beyond that, that there are lots of people who don't really know anything about baking who are trying this out for the first time? Right. So this is kind of what I wanted to find out. Is this bread baking explosion real? Is my Instagram feed and my Twitter timeline just self-selecting? Am I like searching out more sourdough recipes on the internet so I'm like getting served more sourdough content? I didn't know if that was the case. And so I went on this kind of journey to find out, is it real? And if it is real, why? So how did you go about answering those questions? So for that first question of, is this real? I went to the literal source. Hello. Hi. King Arthur Flower. King Arthur's headquartered in Norwich, Vermont. We're on either side of the Connecticut River. King Arthur Flower is this major supplier of flour, but also other baking ingredients, supplies, baking mixes, yeast. All right, so I'm going to start with... I talked to their co-CEO, Karen Kohlberg. You know, we've seen probably, you know, two to three times our typical volumes of business right now. And what she told me was that she'd never seen something as high as the demand that they have been seeing. You know, basically shipped out 7 million bags of flour over a few weeks. We were to have safety stocks. We've depleted everything. And on their website, they're actually sold out of, like, so many things. You know, I remember the first, on March, I'm going to say 10th or something, I could, you know, you look at the numbers every morning. And the first thing I did when I looked at the, the these stats was I texted someone and said, Staley stats can't be right, can they? And the, you know, the answer was, no, I think they are. And it hasn't stopped since then. The other thing I was curious about was, is this demand actually people baking or is it just preparing sort of for the long term? They're keeping like things. panic buying. Panic buying. Thinking like maybe yeah. eventually I would use the flour if we were stuck in our homes for months without right. access to grocery stores or people are actually using it. Exactly. And so from their sort of business analytics, they are estimating that, you know, about a quarter of people might be hoarding or, as Karen put it, pantry loading. But what they're actually seeing is that people have been baking and have been baking a lot and specifically baking sourdough. If if we go look at top 10 recipes on our website, all bread related and sourdough and sourdough related. They also have this thing called a baker's hotline and it's staffed with professional bakers. They help with recipes like, can I substitute this kind of flour for this other kind of flour? They've had to double the support for that staff because so many people are calling in. This is real. (laughs) This is a trend. This is not just a trend on my very self-selecting Twitter timeline. And so when you were talking to her, what did she say about why she thinks there has been this explosion and and why people have become so obsessed with baking during this period? Right. For Karen, you know, it's partly this practical reason why. Like, there's a shortage of yeast in the stores. And actually what Karen was telling me about that 
yeast supply chain is that it wasn't quite as prepared as the flour supply chain. So there has been a huge shortage of commercial yeast in the stores. So when you don't have yeast, and if you can make if you can make you know sort of you know natural sourdough, you can you can bake bread, and it's not that hard if you're home and you have time and you can feed the sourdough. If you have flour and you have sourdough, you can make bread. I went back to our executive producer, Madalika, about why she has taken up sourdough baking at this time. I love the magic of flour and water. And in every culture, there's amazing food that's with flour and water. I love the idea that it is, you know, it's, it's the same as people always made bread. Basically, she said that this is just the kind of baking that people have always been doing. Commercial yeast has not really been available until recent modern history. So the way people have been making bread for thousands and thousands of years has been this process of natural fermentation. Hmm. So that it kind of taps into something primal or, or something fundamental about being human is that we've had these processes for making food that we eat, that we give to our families, and that that hasn't really changed over the past several thousand years. Right. And I actually talked to a person that knows a lot about that, this guy named Seamus Blackley. Hello. Hi, is this Seamus? This is Seamus. Uh, it's really nice to talk to you. I'm going to move uh, to a different Is place, he like a, like uh, a baker? A uh, no, <laughs> at least not a professional chef or baker or anything like that. He's a physicist based in California, but more famously, he's known as the father of the Xbox. Like the Xbox Xbox? Like the video game Xbox? Yes, Microsoft's video gaming console, the Xbox. They keep on telling me I'm the father of the Xbox, and I, I'm, you know, I keep on thinking I don't want to pay for college. Seamus has had this long career in video games, in video game design, and it's pretty wild. There's actually this really great video online from the Game Developers Conference about 20 years ago. And a final point that I think is is critical here is that Xbox, like the traditional game console, it's like will Bill Gates of Microsoft that that, unveiling uh, Microsoft's of, uh, first four foray into sort of video game consoles. Well, the best way to understand this is is to see it in action. And then he like introduces this guy. So I'd ask, like to ask Seamus Blackley to come out and uh, give us a look. Seamus Blackley. This takes Xbox from being a programmer-driven console to being an artist-driven console, a design-driven console. And that's really at the heart of the entire... Wait, wait. So what is this guy who created the Xbox and also happens to be a physicist, what does he have to do with with bread? Seamus is really famous for baking bread from ancient yeast, from yeast gathered very specifically from ancient Egyptian pots and pottery. I got given a, an ostensible sample of ancient yeast that had been used by beer brewers. Uh, ancient Egyptian yeast, and I baked some bread with it, and it was sort of a big hit on uh, on social media. Wait, so the like the actual bacteria that is in pottery from however many thousand years ago, like he's using that same bacteria to make food. Yes, um, it's traditional bread baking, and by traditional, I mean like a ten thousand year tradition or more, right? That seems like miraculous to me. And I was really compelled to figure out how to how to make the kind of bread that people made a thousand years ago. So he did that. <laughs> and he put it on social media. It became this big hit. 
but also there were a lot of detractors. A lot of people, specifically Egyptologists and microbiologists and other people who knew something, were really critical of it and said, well, how the heck do you know this is ancient? You know, you could take some things from ancient Egyptian pots and they could be dust from the museum where these pots hmm. were stored. Or could be bacteria that had just like grown on there in the 4,000 years since it was actually being used for bread making. Yes, exactly. So I went to the loudest of them and I said, okay, well, let's do it right then. Help me. And let's see if we can figure out how to actually bake uh, ancient Egyptian bread. He actually assembled a team. I discovered uh, Serena Love and, and Rich Bowman. Making sure that the, the yeast that he was actually using and cultivating to bake bread was, in fact, from ancient Egypt. Uh, well, Dr. Love is an Egyptologist. Rich Broman is a Navy veteran and uh, microbiology PhD student at the University of Iowa. I mean, he basically developed um, a methodology for like, I would call it microbiological fracking um, of these dormant organisms from the inside of these ceramic vessels. They're still sort of developing this process, so I don't want to say officially that like this yeast is the same that the pyramid builders were consuming. You know, we're still... We don't know yet that this really is the ancient culture from the Old Kingdom. You know, we have more science to do on that. But when we sample the organisms from the insides of these pots, we actually inject a fluid into the, the ceramic matrix, like into the side of a, of a bread-making vessel um, that we got from a bakery on the Giza Plateau that was used to feed pyramid workers. The idea is that as these guys were kneading bread in these bowls and mixing dough in these bowls, some of their culture, some of their sourdough culture would seep into the walls of these vessels because they were porous, they were unglazed, uh, and go dormant there, just like your starter in your freezer. Um, except in this case, in the dry Egyptian environment, inside, you know, a fired ceramic vessel and then buried, um, they might last indefinitely. People have put yeasts and other bacteria uh, into vacuum that's taken into space and revived them. Okay, so they can live possibly indefinitely and then wake them back up in the microbiology laboratory in a sterile environment and feed them and look at the colonies that develop and separate the colonies and then, you know, freeze those and do work on those, um, staining and tests, prepare them for RNA and DNA analysis, and then we run DNA and RNA sequences on them. So that's not kind of a home baker thing, but that's how we ensure that we understand what we got. These are extraordinary measures that you're describing to basically use 4,000-year-old yeast to make bread. Yes, it is. And Seamus is hyper-nerdy about it, which I see and I respect. And when I bake with those samples, what I'm doing is I'm taking those separated organisms and combining them back into a starter culture, which I then feed just like your home uh, uh, starter that you might feed. And I only feed it flour that's been sterilized. So the normal yeast and other bacteria that you get in your flour are dead in my flour so that the only organisms in my culture are the ones that we got from those from those vessels and when i feed it i often i, I also obviously use sterilized water and we have uv lights and gloves and you know we we maintain the purity of the sample that way for baking Why did he want to use this super old yeast so much? Like, did he think that it was going to taste different in terms of what the actual bread would taste like? Or was it just like a cool science project? Yeah, I asked him that. And the emotional thing for me wasn't really eating the bread. 
because as I was working on all this, I realized that I was kind of working alongside the person whose, whose culture we had. And that was the bonding moment. You know, this culture belongs to a baker, um, you know, who lived when the pyramids were being built, which was a very, very long time ago. Part of his motivation for it is just this idea that this is what sustained civilization at the start of it all. Well, and I also felt like a poser because when I made those first loaves, I was baking in a modern oven with a French bread basket. And, you know, that's crazy. The ancient Egyptian would have been like, what the hell is that stuff? What, what are you doing? You're not making bread. This is, what is that? Um, and so what I really had to figure out how to do was to, uh, you know, make the pottery and use the techniques that they did. If I really wanted to, you know, be able to say this is what it tasted like to be, um, you know, a pyramid builder. And since his experiments, he's become this social media authority on bread. People sort of flock to him for their sourdough questions. He started this like hashtag yeast masters trend that he's seen really explode during this pandemic. It's been incredibly cool and inspirational and 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 great because it's uh, you know it's community and it's comfort. So he's been helping troubleshoot with any questions that people have about their sourdough starter. You know there are people who I watch over the weeks come to this very skeptically, not sure they can do it, try making a starter, get super excited that it starts to bubble, and oh my god, it's alive, and oh my god, it's starting to smell like bread, and maybe they have one terrible failed loaf, and then one that works, and then a loaf that looks like, you know, the cover of a, of a baking book. And what is his theory on why people are finding so much comfort in making sourdough or making bread right now? So partly... It's incredibly basic. You know, the, the great thing and the big secret about bread is it's not that hard. If it was hard, we'd all be dead. As for why he thinks it's so comforting to be baking in this method now, in the middle of this pandemic. It's a way for us all to feel some agency. And maybe this is too subtle and weird and nerdy, but I think it's true. We're all hiding in our homes subject to random infection by this stuff that's floating around in the air. And it's really terrifying. So being able to take a really similar thing, to take other microbes floating around in the air and create delicious, sustaining comfort food out of it is a way to feel some control of the situation. It's this way for people to sort of reclaim some good thing from the natural world around them. And I think that's magnificent. And what do you think about that? I think it... It rings really true for me. It gives me some control over things that I can't see and that I can't feel. But what I can see and what I can feel and what I can taste is the thing that comes out of the oven. And sometimes it's not so great, but sometimes it's like beautiful and light and fluffy and just such a wonderful stomach-filling, soul-filling thing to think about. Rena Flores is a producer for Post Reports. (music) 
That's it for this extra episode from Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you thought about this story by emailing us at postreports at washpost.com. We hope you're having a restful weekend. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Thank you.